Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 14th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to dive into a bunch of news, including the original script for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, a Call of Duty movie gets a director, Netflix acquires even more talent, Get Out goes free, Blue Sky Studios is making an animated musical, uh, Den of Thieves somehow got a sequel, and why the Millennium Falcon looks so different in Solo, a Star Wars story. This is Peter Sreda, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writer, Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, before we get into the news, let's let's huddle over here by the virtual water cooler and uh, catch up for a little bit. Uh, uh, it is Valentine's Day. I'm not sure if you guys know that or not. Um, but, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I've talked about in the past, my diet, my, uh, heavily restrictive diet. And I've, I've been finding it hard to actually find a place in LA that, um, is accommodating for Valentine's day to this diet. Um, I'm on the keto diet, which really means, um, eating a lot of fat, low carb, uh, medium protein. Um, and, uh, in, I'm not sure if this is, everywhere in the world but at least in major cities like los angeles uh on valentine's day uh it's kind of like a scam actually (laughs) these restaurants create these like prefix menus that like cost a lot of money and you get like you know three or four courses and there is almost no choices like you know there's a choice between like two items and like the entree section two items and like the uh, appetizer section two items in the dessert section and of course um, I can't have any sugar, so I can't have any dessert. I, I can't barely can have any of the appetizers. So it, it's a uh, it's very hard on Valentine's Day to actually find a place where on on a diet like I am on that that is accommodating of uh, you know just being able to order like you know I just want to order a steak, <laughs> you know just let me order a steak and I I don't need to have a dessert and don't whatever but um i did find a place uh i can report back uh, later on how good it was i i did also want to mention that uh last night um i or actually two nights ago we watched uh the first episode of altered carbon have either of you seen this 
I'm taking that I silence not yet. as a no. No, no. no, I haven't watched it yet either. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, uh, the pilot episode uh, we watched on Netflix. This is Netflix's new series um, starring... Phil Kinnaman. Yes. From The Killing and the Robocop movie that everybody has forgotten about. Um, you know, this this show, which is based on a book, is uh, it looks... I am shocked at how good TV looks now. You know, this is set in like a Blade Runner-esque sci-fi future. And like, you know, it still does look, you know, not as good as a T as a movie, but uh, it is amazing what they're able to do on a TV budget these days. Um, And the the show is based in this future where, we uh, have these computers inside us that store all our our consciousness, basically, so that after uh, our body dies, we can, if you are rich enough, you can transfer your consciousness to another body. Um, and there, it, it's it's following a um, a murder investigation, a kind of uh, film noir kind of uh, setup. Um, it's interesting. It's not as compelling as I wanted it to be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to uh watch a couple more episodes uh my uh girlfriend catcher was not as into it as i was but uh visually i think uh we both agree it is uh something to at least uh you know dip your footing a foot into uh for that for that pilot episode because it's uh it's crazy what they're doing on, on netflix and we'll talk about that later in the news but uh ht what have you been up to so there's another holiday that's kind of coming around in addition to Valentine's Day, and it's Lunar New Year. So this is coming up on February 16th. Uh, it changes of the day every year, just kind of goes with the cycle of the lunar calendar. And um, I celebrate it as a Vietnamese American. Um, in Vietnamese, we call it Tet. So it's um, it's similar to Chinese New Year, but it's, it's somewhat related. Uh, basically, every new year, we get to have like these special celebrations where often we eat these foods that we can only eat at New Year's. Uh, for Vietnamese people, it's this sort of sticky rice cake called beng chung, which is stuffed with beans and pork and or other such like uh, some savory sort of uh, meats. And um, we eat like all these special really sweet rices and other kind of stuff that is really exciting, um, especially there's a really great soup that's one of my favorite things called bun tang and um it's delicious and we only ever eat at new year so it's a what is it what is in bun tang um so it's uh rice noodles and there is um sort of dry chicken (laughs) um i'm trying to like trying to describe it uh it's chicken and um uh dried pork or some sort of uh, men I'm not really sure how we make it. Um, and, <laughs> I'm sorry to put egg. you on the spot. No, uh, okay. But, but <laughs> why, why is it only consumed during uh, Lunar New Year? I don't know. It's just like these these foods are always specially um, sort of set aside for Lunar New Year, New Year, and we only ever eat them then. And uh, so that's why it's always a really exciting time. And when I was young, the kids would always get uh, money in these special little red envelopes called um, 
Lisi, um, and it's supposed to be or a sort of exchange of good luck and everything like that. But now that I'm working and have a job, I can't get any more. So I'm really <laughs> sad about that. It used to be like my main form of allowance. Um, and there's always a really interesting little superstitions that my parents practice that I never really expect them to because they always seem like very practical people. So like uh, on New Year's Day, we the first person to enter your home is supposed to bring you uh, luck depending on what kind of person they are. So if they're a good person who's had a really great year, then they'll bring luck to your household. But if they're a bad person, then your household will be like consumed by bad luck. And um, it's it's really cool. And there's other things. We can't eat duck for the first month after New Year's. Um, we have like these big parties often that we wear these special Vietnamese dresses and outfits called Aozai, more so when we were kids because they like dressing us up in those <laughs> Aozai as kids. Um, so yeah, it was. I had a, an early New Year's party with my mom's side of the family uh, this past weekend, and then I'm having another one with my dad's side uh, th- later this weekend. So it's always a lot of fun. I really enjoy New Year's and um, uh, I... Yeah, it's like it's a fun little celebration and kind of get together with my family and all sorts of relatives. And we have we kind of practice these really interesting traditions and rites that is a nice way of tying into my culture and everything and lots of great food, of course. I will admit my ignorance here because I I didn't know that lunar the celebration of Lunar New Year was uh, that big of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, This is all interesting to me. I I hope. uh, this sounds so lazy of me, but I I, <laughs> I, I hope uh, someone like Disney is able to make a movie like Coco to uh, not exploit <laughs> this time of year. Celebrate to, to, to celebrate and, and, and educate us in the culture of uh, what goes around. Because it sounds like it's so interesting. It sounds yeah. like there's a lot to it. Um, yeah, and it's celebrated differently it? with it? all Asian cultures, too. So that would be a movie I'd be, I'd love to see. What is it like when somebody comes into the house who, like, is the bad person? Are your parents just like, oh, shit, it's Karen. Damn it. This year is a wash. (laughs) Well, my mom always asks my uncle, who lives, like, uh, five minutes away from us, to come and do, like, this sort of rite every year. And I asked if I ever could do it, like, just go out of the house and come back in. And she's like, no, you're not worthy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so you can, you can be like okay we're gonna have so-and-so come over and we're gonna have a really good year yeah and i was just like when can i do it and she's like when you have a sick a 10-figure job and i'm like that will never happen then. <laughs> it, it's yeah you know it, it, it's 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 slowly dawning on me how 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 disrespectful it probably was for me to suggest that a big company like disney should should create a movie around this yeah, uh, actually, instead of me that. actually searching on Wikipedia and learning about it myself. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I, I do know, you know, you see, th- this tells you a little bit about me and what I follow is I do know Universal Studios in Hollywood and uh, Florida actually celebrates Lunar New Year. Um, so they're having a big celebration with um, some of the DreamWorks characters, I guess, from like Kung Fu, uh, Kung Fu Panda and stuff like that. So uh, I'm not sure if does Lunar New Year even play into those movies. Probably not. Um, Not really. I don't think I've only <laughs> seen the first two Kung Fu Pandas. I don't remember them very well. But Lunar New Year is really heavily tied to Chinese culture. Uh, so I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. And the DreamWorks logo is a moon. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Brad, what have you been up to? 
Um, I finally got around to seeing uh, Phantom Thread. The weather here in the Midwest has been unfavorable this winter, uh, to say the least. We've been getting far too much snow. Um, so it's just been every now and then when I would get the time to go to the movies, the weather would be crap. And so I couldn't really go out to effectively see a movie because the theater that I go to is about 20 minutes away. But I finally got around to seeing it this weekend, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is, uh, exquisite and elegant. It's just really just fascinating, uh, portrait of obsession and passion. Um, kind of, I don't know. I guess hauntingly lovely, I guess you could say, just because, you know, so the the way the characters become intertwined with each other and how they show their affection and love for each other is uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, the score, especially Johnny Greenwood's score, was so hypnotizing. Um, I, I need to get it immediately. It's it's so good. I, I, I love anything he does. Uh, the, the score is amazing. Uh, Brad, without getting into any spoilers... Um, I really dislike the ending of this movie. Uh, really? Yeah. You, 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 oh. you didn't? No, I think I think the ending is like I mean the ending is what brings it all together. Like that's the what... ending was my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean it... it was what really made it a twisted sort of gothic romance, which is why I liked it so much. I think yeah, I, hate, I, I you know I don't want to get into the like spoilers and because I know a lot of people have not seen this movie yet, but I think I guess I don't like. Paul Thomas Anderson is probably trying to say about relationships. Mm. I don't know the the larger. I don't, message... I, I don't think it's nearly as sinister as it seems. I I think that it's in this particular in the um, I think that it's just it's the idea of suffering through certain things for the sake of love and passion and that kind of thing. Um, it's just, yeah. It's, I don't know. I I think I think that it's. I think it's it does accomplish exactly what it, it sets out to do. I, I don't know. I didn't see I didn't see it in a Yeah, a, I would never see life. this romance this like love story as like the paragon of love <laughs> stories. In fact, I think it's more of like not a tragedy. Well, I guess kind of like a tragedy. It's sort of like an anti-romance in a way. A lot of the ways that like gothic romances are not in fact romances at all, but uh more just like twisted perversions of relationships. And that's why I think that this movie and the ending kind of nails that down to avoid getting to spoilers too. And, and I think watching the movie, I was uh, thinking the whole time about like, you know, how autobiographical is this movie? I mean, obviously this is set in a different time. It, it's totally not about Paul Thomas Anderson as a person, um, but it is about this character that has really obsessed and is an auteur in his industry. And, uh, I wonder how much of him is in that character and how much uh, how much guts it takes, if it is, to put yourself out there on the mm-hmm. big screen. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, It's kind of like what, what um, Aronofsky did with Mother, except a little bit less obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we've gone uh, 14 minutes in the water cooler, so we should, get, we should jump into the news. Um, let's f- we'll first start with uh, the original script pages from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, They were posted online. HT, you wrote it up for the site. What do we know? So co-writer Ed Solomon, who uh, co-wrote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with Chris Matheson, recently posted the original script pages uh, for 
the movie that he and Chris Matheson wrote when they were sort of aspiring writers struggling to make by in a coffee shop. So these script pages are kind of fairly legible little scribblings that you see on notepad paper. Uh, and you see like the first page is actually a really interesting, um, I think beginning for the first scene for Bill and Ted. I haven't seen it in a while. So I think it's almost um, shot for shot for it, but it's the, it's Bill and Ted playing on their guitars and practicing heavy metal and being silly lunkheads. So I think that's similar to how it starts. I can't quite recall, so I'm forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but along with the tweets where he posted all the pages of his the original script, Ed Selman sort of launched into this really touching uh, story about how he and Chris Matheson came about um, creating these characters and how proud he is of um, these characters who are so pure-hearted and joyous and um, being able to enact sort of like this weird positivity on the world in the form of this cult classic film. And uh, he said, if all we did in our career was put the phrase, be excellent to each other out into the world, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. So even though Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is remembered as or sort of a, an irreverent comedy, it is really touching how people really bring this message and the movie's just kind of pure hearted joy itself to heart. So it was a, it's a really sweet little uh, tweet thread that I really recommend reading. And um, hopefully it's a hint. I'm not really sure if it's a hint. I don't think it's at all related to the long gestating Bill and Ted 3 sequel that has been in talks for a while, but likely maybe won't ever happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was wondering that myself. I was wondering, are, are they going back through the pages because, you know, they're working on that third film and mm -hmm. uh, trying to you know get inspiration from the earliest developments of, of that film? Brad, are you a big fan of Bill and Ted? Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a big fan of Bill and Ted. I I, I enjoyed it, you know, uh, a decent amount when I was a kid. But I don't have uh, the same reverence for it as I do a movie like uh, I guess would be the '90s equivalent of it in a way, which is Wayne's World. Um, that was something that I was much more fond of and rewatched over and over again. Um, but I think I think Bill and Ted is 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 fine for what it is. Um, I don't think it's aged quite as well as some beloved. 80s comedies but uh it's fine see i haven't watched it in a few years i i used to you know i'm, I'm a time travel fanatic and uh actually they, they showed it showed bill and ted to me i i'd seen it when it was in theaters but they showed it to me when i think i was in middle school because i guess there's some educational aspect to the history part <laughs> that was that was how I watched it. My oh, really? orchestra teacher was obsessed with the movie. And sometimes when we had lulls in class, he would just pop in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And it was one of the, the movies that was sort of pre-approved by the administration because of the educational aspects. <laughs> so, I yeah, we watched it a lot when I was in high school. I, yeah, I, they won't they won't show that in school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bonkers ridiculousness of the sequel. The sequel is not as good of a movie, but like it's just insane. And uh it, it, it's crazy. I, I like watching that. Um, but uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, I'm not a big video game player. Uh, Brad, you play some video games, right? A little bit here and there. I dabble. Do you play Call of Duty? I do. It's actually one of the um, the games I play most consistently because I just like the instant action of the multiplayer. Well, Call of Duty movie has just enlisted a new director. You wrote a, wrote the story up for the site. What do we know? 
Yeah, so uh, Activision Blizzard, the video game company, formed their own uh, movie studio a little while back with plans of turning their video games into uh, big film franchises. Uh, It didn't go so well with uh, Warcraft, but they're going to try with Call of Duty, which has been an extremely successful video game franchise for a while. Uh, First-person shooter that takes place um, across various uh, war battlefields. And... Last year, we heard that the the plans were to create a Call of Duty cinematic universe. A lot of different uh, movies focusing on the different eras that the video games do, and maybe even expand into TV series like uh, Marvel did with Agents of Shield and their Netflix shows. Uh, now they finally got a director attached for what will be the first attempt at a Call of Duty movie, uh, and it's Stefano Salima, who uh, is the director of Sicario Two: Soldado. Uh, we won't see that until June, but apparently whatever work he did on that movie must have been good enough to convince Activision Blizzard that this was the guy to deliver the first Call of Duty movie. Unfortunately, that's really all we know. Uh, there's no indication as to uh, which era this Call of Duty movie will focus on. The The earlier games in the franchise were all took place in World War II before they expanded into the modern warfare titles that were contemporary uh war set games and then um so it's it's not clear what exactly will happen i i would imagine they would start in world war ii and eventually expand to other arenas but i uh i don't know do you guys feel like i mean even even as people who haven't played the game like does the idea of you know a war movie franchise like sound appealing at all Hmm. i mean it does sound interesting that they're planning to connect them in some way uh but you know, I haven't played the Call of Duty games, but it, those games, you know, watching friends play those games, it always seemed to me that it was just about kind of the the point and shoot. Uh, like, it didn't really seem to be about characters or story as much as, you know, just the fun action. Um, so I'm not sure what there is to go off of other than, you know, the historical battles and the stuff that they're the fictional battles that they're making up. I I have not seen any of the work from this director, but we we did get an email when we were talking about Sicario too uh, from some people saying that his work in I I, th- I believe Italy or uh, another country uh, is phenomenal. Yeah, it was his work on. Uh, there's this series called Gamora. I guess it's a crime series. Um, that that's what got him the job on Sicario too. So he he must have some skill behind the camera. Yeah, I'm excited to see what what comes of this. There, there's yet to been. There's yet to be a really, really good video game movie adaptation. Uh, so um, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I, th- I think they're just two different, very different mediums. And you can't translate one to the other or, you know, in, in either direction really well. Um, but let's move on. Uh, we, were, we were talking about Netflix earlier. Um, Netflix has now uh, signed showrunner brian murphy in a huge deal reportedly worth 300 million dollars hd what do we know so ryan murphy has just signed a five-year deal that will see the showrunner producing new shows and films exclusively for netflix and um reportedly this deal is worth as much as 300 million dollars according to the new york times which would make it the largest ever deal made for a tv producer um, and it was the result of a bidding war, reportedly, between Netflix, Fox, and Amazon. Um, Fox, who is a, is the longtime network of uh, Ryan Murphy, he has pr- uh, created shows such as Glee, Scream Queens for the Fox 
broadcast network and then also his award-winning series like American Crime Story, Feud, uh, American Horror Story uh, for their cable network FX. So his contract with Fox is uh, expiring at the end of the summer. And as soon as this contract expires, he will make the jump over to Netflix um, on July 1st. So um, this is a big move for Netflix because I don't know where they got all that money, first of all, but um, it kind of strikes a blow to to um, Disney uh, tangentially because Disney is currently seeking is just entered a deal with uh, 21st Century Fox and uh, where, dear, where Disney would acquire most of Fox's properties for um, the his, also historic five. $52.4 billion deal. And um, that would take sort of Ryan Murphy's uh, shows, which are very, very lucrative and very critically acclaimed, out of the running for Disney. So, um, well, well, they will uh, still retain the shows that are in production yes. until their end point. Yes, but you exactly. think with $300 million, Ryan Murphy's attention might be uh, somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But it's it's interesting that Netflix is acquiring this this talent. You know, it was first Shonda Rhimes and now uh, Ryan Murphy, like a big big uh, hit to FX, I think, because mm-hmm. you know those were uh, two people I think helping FX. Uh, uh, you know, now they only have like what Noah Hawley. Um, yeah, they have Noah Hawley who does Fargo and Legion, but yeah, FX is sort of bleeding their big showrunners now, and um, I do think it has something to do with the Disney deal. Uh, Ryan Murphy actually, when the deal uh, was first announced in January, kind of showed trepidation about it and was talking about uh, at the TCA, TCAs how he was unsure about his uh, current contract with Fox. So I think that was kind of him looking to jump ship. Hmm. Uh, you know, at some point in the future, Netflix is going to own all the movies, all the TV shows, all the showrunners, all the directors, all the actors, and we'll just be watching Netflix in our in our um, you know, an implant in our eye or something. <laughs> and every movie, every other movie will be a Cloverfield movie. Yes. Uh, let's move on to uh, Get Out. Get Out was a, a big sensation last year, and if you haven't seen it, you will finally get the, the chance to see it for free in the theater. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so this month uh, on February 24th will mark exactly one year since Get Out hit theaters. Um, and it's uh, definitely gone the distance with uh, plenty of people, audiences, and both uh, people in the ind- industry as well. Because it ended up getting nominated for some Academy Awards, including uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. And that doesn't normally happen with movies that get released so early in the year, uh, the qualifying year for the Academy Awards. So uh, Universal and Jordan Peele wanted to show appreciation for the support that the movie got over the past year from fans who saw it over and over again and made it a big blockbuster success. And all the critical acclaim it received by hosting a uh, free screening of the movie at select AMC theaters locations on President's Day, which is February 19th this month. So if you haven't caught it, you can head out there. Uh, It'll be a 7 o'clock local showing. Uh, Anybody who shows up can get one free ticket to see the movie. Um, If you want to check it out, uh, in our article we have the link to the the website for the uh, Get Out One Year Later celebration. So you can figure out what the closest theater is. Uh, It looks like there are over 55 locations. So it's not uh, quite as widely available as uh, when it first hit theaters last year. Um, But that's mostly because it's been out on 
uh, HBO for a while now and home video and whatnot. So we're probably not looking to see a huge intake of people going back to theaters to see it. But it is free, so uh, it's a cool opportunity to see it on the big screen again. And yeah, I think it's uh, if you haven't seeing it in the theater would definitely be the best way to see it. And and on President's Day, or what are they trying to say, Brad? Uh, you know, I don't I don't really know. I, I haven't really noticed anything weird about the headlines <laughs> or the presidential administration lately. So you know, who knows? I I don't know if there's any political statements to be made. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. Uh, Blue Sky Studios, uh, which. Is that a uh, their films are distributed by Fox, right? Yes. Yes. Um, they have hired their first female director and are doing their first animated musical. Uh, makes me wonder if they're you know trying to appeal to their new uh, new uh, Mickey Mouse masters. But uh, HT, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Right. So Blue Sky Studios is mostly known for Ice Age and the Rio movies, and they have not yet done an animated musical yet, though they've had a lot of extended dance sequences in their films. Um, But they've just hired their first female director, Karen Disher, who will co-direct their first animated musical uh, alongside Steve Martino. And um, the musical is tentatively titled Foster. It's going to feature songs by well, Land lyricists Benji Pasek and Justin Paul, who recently just had another big hit on their hands with The Greatest Showman. And um, the film will be written by Tim Federal and produced by Mark Platt. So they're putting a lot of emphasis on the fact that this is an original musical and uh, the first one for Blue Sky Studios, which is not a new uh, animated studio by any means, but it's only it's 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 in its fifteenth movie uh, for this animated movie musical will be. So it's sort of in the middling era, and um, it's a big move for to hire a female director too, because even the largest companies like Pixar and Disney have only had about one female director each, um, and Pixar fired their female director midway through production for Brave. So that didn't look great for them. It, it, um, it should and- be mentioned that DreamWorks has had a uh, female director, uh, Jenny something on the Kung Fu Panda movies. Yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah, they've had a female director for the Kung Fu Panda movies and she, Jenny, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, it, it is an Asian Jennifer Jennifer Yeah Nelson. Yeah. She's actually one of the, she's the only solo female director in the past decade. A lot of the other female directors have been co-directors. Um, and Karen, Karen Disher will also be a co-director, but it's sort of a small foot in the door for female directors out there who don't have a lot of great work in the animation industry. It, it is a good step forward for sure. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, w- when we first heard the news that Fox was acquiring or Disney was acquiring Fox, we wondered what is going to become of Blue Sky Studios because it, it seems like, you know, that is not the Disney brand whatsoever. But uh, maybe, you know, maybe they are, uh, you know, going to change their model to to be more disney-esque i don't know i mean which would be a little unfortunate because you think that disney would want more diversity amongst its sort of subsidiaries but i'm i like blue sky studios i think they do good work and i would be happy to see them make their first musical yeah I'm, i'm interested to see how it turns out but uh let's move on to den of thieves 2 something I've never thought I would say out loud um, because this is a movie that no one I know saw 
and somehow it's getting a sequel. Maybe it's the Gerard Butler fans. I don't know. Brad, what do we know? Uh, so yeah, Den of Thieves was not any anything uh, just like a box office hit or anything like that. Uh, it made about forty one point three million dollars at the domestic box office and threw on another fifteen point nine million at the international box office. But that's not bad for a movie that only cost thirty million to make. Uh, and the whose budget was covered by the pre-sales and a tax incentive. So, you know, I guess STX Films was pretty happy turning a profit with uh, those those numbers, and that's enough for them to get a sequel out there. I, I just, um, I don't know if anybody really cares at this point. Um, apparently most of the cast from the original movie is returning. Uh, Gerard Butler... Uh, Tucker Tooley, Mark Canton, Alan Siegel, uh, 50 Cent, it, they're all set to return. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in talks to reprise his role. Apparently, uh, we don't, I don't know for sure for what this means, but I, cause I haven't seen it, uh, like everybody else didn't, but <laughs> the, um, apparently the returning cast members contradicts events that happen in the first movie. I'm assuming that means some of those characters don't survive or something and, but somehow they're being brought back. I so who knows what that means or how they're going to do it. Uh, maybe it'll be a, a, a prequel of some kind or I, just who knows. And I, I just what whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just wondering, you know, why they're making this. I know STX has not uh, had many hits. You know, the I guess the Bad Moms movies. Um, so maybe this is you know even a lukewarm hit is good enough for them to you know invest in a sequel um i I do know that you know whenever i mention like the you know the actors from twilight i get a lot of retweets and a lot of um uh tweens and teens with uh you know uh opinions of the of of those actors good uh, you know positive opinions of those actors and uh, you know ready to come to their defense at a moment's notice i've also noticed this is the the same with gerard butler but uh, probably more moms than than teens. Um, HT, do you, do you think it is the Gerard Butler mega fans that are that is pushing this into a sequel? I mean, it can only be right <laughs> <laughs> because I yeah I have no clue anyone who I don't know personally anyone who saw it, and I know that Gerard Butler certainly has his own little cache of fans, um, and. He does keep getting work, so maybe he's a very in-demand actor with the niche demographic. Do Gerard Butler fans have like a name? Is there like a fan group? The Butlerites. The Butlerites. I, <laughs> I remember hearing it back in the day, but I, I, I cannot, uh, I cannot find it. There was some kind of name that they they had, and um, yeah, okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> ignore that. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, our last story, and that is uh, about Han Solo or Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, we've all been talking about the Millennium Falcon and how uh, you know shiny it looks. Uh, so you know, the latest we have heard is you know we we have the story on why the Millennium Falcon looks different in this new movie, HT. Why does it look different? So the Millennium Falcon we see in Solo, a Star Wars story, is the Falcon before it gets, it falls into the hands of our smug smuggler Han Solo. So at this point, it's owned by Lando Calrissian, 
who is uh, who uses it as both a transport vessel and apparently a party vessel, according to a new report from Entertainment Weekly. So he uses it to entertain guests and do other such um, nice fun activities. So I think that's why it looks so sleek. Um, and it's he's not the first owner for it either. It's gone through many modifications uh, since it's in creation. So um, John Kasdan, who's the solo screenplay writer, uh, talked about how it reflects the needs of every captain. And for Orlando, it reflected his need to party. Um, so the way that the difference that we see with this Millennium Falcon is that uh, it's not only much shinier, but it has a different nose. So if you notice, it has a tapered nose instead of the two, the forked mandibles that we are familiar with. And while the EW report doesn't reveal exactly how it changes from the tapered nose to the mandibles, they do say that it would be a spoiler to reveal how it would happen. And that the um, mandibles, mandibles were always meant to hold something. And it's clear in the new Tasbro, Hasbro toy that was released of the Millennium Falcon that um, it can be removed. So it suggests perhaps there's a detachable storage container in between those mandibles that makes that tapered nose. So what that storage container contains, we don't know. And um, that's all we have for the big changes for the Millennium Falcon. And um, it's certain to get more banged up throughout the course of solo because this is the the first meeting that we see between lando and han and uh perhaps we'll see that game of sabak that got han that won han the ownership of the millennium falcon in the first place well i'm sure we'll see that um brad any theories on why uh, the, the the uh the front of the millennium falcon changes uh, I'm willing to bet that he runs into a space street pole or something like that. <laughs> and he just doesn't have the insurance to cover it. Because Han Solo is not a guy who wants to deal with red tape and the bureaucracy of getting insurance on a ship that he's just going to wreck more anyway. I mean, he's so, he's using it for illegal means anyway. So why would it be insured? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's worth noting, too, a lot. for some reason, a lot of people have referenced uh, a certain drawing that uh, surfaced around the time that Force Awakens was released that uh, showed that the Millennium Falcon's um, mandibles, the forked ends of it, are supposed to be used for hauling cargo and, and whatnot. But that was something that was just a concept drawing that was never made canon. But a lot of people think that it appeared in the Force Awakens cross-sections book. But it's it's not in there. So that's not a canon thing. But I'm sure that they'll come up with some good reason uh, as to why they uh, get rid of that portion of the ship in the movie. Well, we have hit the end of the news. We've hit the wall. Uh, th- that does it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, Brad, where can people find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and check out my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, on the iTunes and other podcasting platforms. HD, where can people find you? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me on Twitter at Slash Film. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published almost every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please go rate and review us on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell your friends. We will see you tomorrow.